story. And I'm like, Orlando! I was basically a uh, Charles screen. It's like the tires will fit and he's Hello everybody and welcome back to the shakedown. We are back. I hope everybody's doing well. How are we all? I almost died on Saturday on Sunday. I don't know, man. You almost died? Football. Oh the football. Oh, the yeah, American well, football. Okay. I was gonna say American football, not real football. <laughs> the American football. You know, the 49ers said we're gonna make you have a high heart rate. Have You're fun. gonna stick for the whole thing. You're gonna be on the couch the whole time. <laughs> yes. It's just it's just prepping you for when the F1 season starts back up in what five weeks now. So it's just preparing you emotionally for having the a pain. high heart rate. Yeah, it's just like practice. It's like heart rate training. <laughs> But um, that was uh, fine. Good, and we uh, we haven't officially mentioned this on the pod, but January plays host to birthdays of two thirds of us. So happy birthday, Hannah, for this week! Happy birthday, Mon, for like three weeks ago. Um, mine was in November. There we go. But yay, we're all a little bit older. Maybe a little bit Woo. older. Woo! Woo. <laughs> and Hannah, what important thing did you do that everyone should do? ever to celebrate your birthday okay well i bought lego um and my mom my mom and dad bought me more legos (laughs) there is no such thing as too much lego i never said there was too much lego but i'm just saying like (laughs) she did when she watched me buy this set in the morning she didn't say anything it's probably because she she didn't buy you the exact same one that's probably why because she wants you to be happy that's more lego more happiness so let's get into things we're starting off with our media day. What pieces of news are there from around the F1 and motorsports world? What dropped today, Tuesday, a few hours before recording? Well, let's see. So, I guess it's going to be Newsacre Hannah this time. Madrid is set to join the calendar from 2026 until at least 2035. It's going to replace Barcelona. There are mixed reviews about or mixed reactions to this. Um, I've seen everything from another straight track replacing a classic track to great Barcelona was a snooze this is going to be interesting so completely different spectrums and then uh, there's obviously people who are sitting on the fence and just want to see how it goes it is another straight track it'll be really interesting to see how much they prepare for it it is partially not permanent but partially straight track partially not straight track because some of the track still has to be built it is a completely blank piece of land in some parts which will be really interesting. Let's see. London uh, is going to open the first F1 karting experience, official F1 karting experience in February. So it's not that far away. I believe we love team for testing that out. (laughs) Maybe maybe the kids can test it out. And then something that dropped literally like an hour ago, F1 news, Williams and Puma Motorsport are going to collaborate. We don't necessarily have any more information on it. However, it did raise a few questions in my head. So there, for those that don't know, Puma is the official kit brand for Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, and a lot of other motorsports brands. BMW, mm-hmm. Yacht Sauber, right. in some cases, you know, just a lot of a lot of brands use them as their their kit, and 
Williams, up until this point, is not one of them. They use a brand called Umbro, which is a sustainable streetwear company. And they are very, they basically are very proud to be like using recycled materials, using, you know, it's a really good brand to be working with. So I'm really interested to see if this means that they're not working with Umbro anymore or if it's just a one off collaboration that they're going to do for this year or the launch of the car. Who knows? But it'll be really interesting to see that. Other than that, the only other piece of major news that I have is that IMSA's 24 Hours of Daytona testing was this past weekend, and Roman Grosjean escaped from yet another flaming car. Now, the flaming car in question was not moving. It did not even leave the pit lane when it flamed. Um, it went, it, he was in his Lamborghini Huracan GT3. It stalled in the end of the pit lane and then caught fire. Didn't even make it to the track. So, um, and it was during testing. It was not qualifying. Qualifying is this coming weekend. Quali happened this past weekend. Sorry, y'all. I got mixed up. Um, This one, there's a lot lot with the Raw before the 24. Mm -hmm. uh, Daytona. We'll come to Daytona a bit more in a minute. But yeah, absolutely. Gosh, Roman, he seems to be incredibly unlucky with these fireball moments, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Any other news? Moni, any news? I can't think of any. Uh, the only other bits I've got is that obviously we are still in a race watching drought in terms of F1. We've still got many weeks until the season returns. But this weekend coming, so there's like 27th, 28th of January, we do have some stuff that we could watch. It's mm-hmm. very exciting. We've got two, two different things that we could watch. So the first one is the Formula E. So this weekend they are in Daria in Saudi Arabia. And mm-hmm. you get a special treat, not one, but two rounds. So Saturday, you have one set of free practice, qualifying, and a race. Then on Sunday, you have another separate set of free practice, qualifying, and a race. So you get quite spoiled with FE on a weekend like this. You get to have sort of two races for one, and it's kind of quite nice because it's kind of all over and done with in a day. Not that you mm. want it over and done with, but you, you can just focus on one day and get to enjoy the whole thing. So that's going to be really cool. So that's the FIE in Saudi Arabia this weekend. That's their second and third rounds of the season. And then, as Hannah has already touched on, we have the 24 hours of Daytona, which is I'm sorry. Qualifying mm. happened on Sunday. The race is this weekend. Timings are 1.40 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday to Sunday at 1.40 p.m. Eastern time because, shocker, 24 hours. So lots of places for you to watch that. Um, if you're in the mm-hmm. US, I think it's on NBC and Peacock. Yep. Yeah. Peacock will probably have the whole thing versus NBC and USA will switch on and over. Yeah, you can see it all on the IMSA website. It's got all the details. But for those of mm-hmm. us um, in the UK, like I am, IMSA.tv um, is streaming the entire thing, which is, is really cool. There's lots of other bits in the build up to it. There's other series that take place. Um, there's other free practices. It all kind of gets going yeah. from... Yeah, it all kind of gets going from like Wednesday um, going forward. So, yeah, plenty of things to watch if you are feeling a little sad about the fact there's no room rooms going anywhere. Although the FE don't really room, they kind of go, mm. you know? Fun fact there's like 12 or like over half the IndyCar grid is driving in the 24 hours in the different categories. Yeah, so we've got a lot of them who are in there. We've got um, Alexander Rossi, Pinchcliffe, who isn't technically an IndyCar driver, but Carl Kirk was. 
Um, we've also got we've also got um, Dorian Pin, who's going to be in the F1 Academy mm-hmm. grid next year. She is driving in it. Um, Pato Award, Scotty Mack, um, friend of well, not friend of the show, favorite of the show, Clement Novelak. He is driving in one of the LMP2 cars. Scott Dixon, Alex Pelot, Joseph Newgarden, Tom Blomquist, Colton Herter. Jensen Button is driving in it, guys. It's very, very exciting. And, and Devlin DiFrancesco as well. Yep. And there are other people. I just yeah, forget like, them. Literally, anyone, most people you can think of or have heard of will probably be in there. There's a lot somewhere. of them in there, aren't there? Yeah. So we thought we'd take this opportunity in our learning moment this week, which we typically save for sort of race-based stuff. But we're going to sort of take the opportunity now to have a bit of a conversation or have a bit of a learn about the difference between WEC, World Endurance Championships, which we've covered a little bit on the pod before, um, and IMSA. Now, do either of you want to take a shot at it or do you want me to let you in on the very boring research I've been doing because I'm an ed? I think, I think Ellie should take this one. Yeah, because I can't think of anything other than one happens no. on the track. That's by me and the other one doesn't. <laughs> Yet, not yet. So, mechanisms are largely similar things, but the difference, biggest difference is only the FIA is allowed to organize things that are classified as world championships. So, it's called World Endurance Championship, and therefore it is officially sanctioned by the FIA, which is the motorsport governing body for the whole world. Each nation has a sporting body and they can organise events in their own country and countries that share a border with them. So the Iron IMSA is international, but it's largely because they get to go to Canada as well. So it's American and Canadian races, but they're not the same championships. There are some equivalent classes. So there's similarities between the GT cars in both, like the GT3 and the GTD cars. Um, and there's similarities between the hypercar in WEC and the prototype cars in IMSA. But for the most part, teams will not run both. It's too expensive to run both. But on the big events, so like your 24 hours of Le Mans, 24 hours of Daytona, some of those bigger scale events, you do see a little bit of crossover. So, uh, for example, people you'd normally associate with WEC would be the Iron Danes, Iron Lynx, but they're coming over and doing IMSA this weekend, which is very exciting. Race-wise, and in terms of like the distance and stuff, they're a bit different as well. So WEC, the shortest race is six hours. Like that's the minimum amount. Whereas IMSA, you've got five long ones that are, you've got obviously 24 hours of Daytona and then a few that are like six and 12 hours. And then you've got six that are kind of a normal race length, which I think is what's coming to close to you, isn't it, Molly? Because the one at Long Beach is... Yeah, like the one at Laguna is like two hours. Yeah, it's like a two hour yeah. thing. So I just think that's really interesting that you kind of, have some similarities but some differences and yeah as you said IMSA takes place in North America um in terms of the continent not just America and yeah WEC does take place all over the world I think we we covered it in our episode before Christmas about how you've got some in Bahrain you've got some in Imola you've got some in uh they're going to Austin this year as well so yeah, there's there's similarities, but there's also differences. So it's an opportunity, I think, with IMSA to get into a bit more of your long distance racing, but also to be able to appreciate that you will have some shorter races, which is quite going to be quite nice to watch. So that one near you, I think, is end of April. Yes, it's in April. Around April then. May. So it's one of those. Yeah, and and obviously we are whilst we primarily focus on F one, 
we are a motorsport learning podcast. And so I thought I'd take the moment to have a little learning moment and go, okay, Weck and IMSA kind of feel a bit similar. It's both more endurance racing than what we're used to watching. But here are some of the differences between the two. So any questions? No, right now. <laughs> Not that I can think of. Let me watch a race of both. And like I said, I've been back. in a drought. I've been sad. I've been missing my room groups. So I watched what was available, which was IMSA. So here we are. You guys get to benefit from me going on a deep dive. <laughs> social media moment of the week. As our social media queen, what have you got for us? <laughs> well, it's kind of a twofold moment. Um, we got to see a little reunion this week. Um, we're going to say that the social media admin of the week is George Russell himself, the king of matching mm-hmm. the aesthetic, the king <laughs> of looking his best. Um, he and his girlfriend Carmen met up with the Wolves, Susie and Total Wolf, at a downhill ski competition in Austria. Mm-hmm. It was in Austria. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was in Austria or Germany, to be honest with you. And you'll know why in a second. It's a very big event. I've personally never heard of it, but also because I've never been to Austria or anywhere on that side of the world, unfortunately. Valid. You know, I'm also not very big into skiing, but that's beside the point. Um, But it's apparently a very big competition. A lot of people go. It's, you know, just something that brings people together. And so the other reason this is going to be the social media moment of the week, aside from the fact that George was stunting on everybody, um, is that we had a sub sighting. Yay! A sub sighting. He's alive and well. And he was also at this. He was also at this downhill ski competition in Austria. And he looked great. And he looked like he was actually skiing himself, but probably not in the competition. Um, Although I wouldn't put it past him, to be honest with you. Can you imagine? I could see it. Okay. He has many side quests. Not as many as Lando, but he has many side quests. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, um, I just thought of a social media moment I saw from watching IMSA stuff. What's the team again mm-hmm. that has Rex? Ayo. They apparently have like little Rex merch. And they I saw a post they I think they posted it, of like someone in an inflatable dinosaur costume with the mini Rexes surrounding it. So it looked like they were crazy and big. Rex. It was very adorable. That's cute. 10 out of 10. Very cute. But yes, so that's going to be our social media moment of the week. For those that are asking why we didn't put Charles breaking the internet with a baby, it happens every once in a while. It's not something special. A subsetting is special. Um, sorry, mm-hmm. Charles Gurley's. Proof um, of life. Oof. <laughs> I mean, not wrong, but oof. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll allow it. So moving on to our quiz question of the week or Moni's question corner. Mon, what have you got for us? What is your question this week? What does it stem from? What's inspired you? Once again, it came from watching IMSA races in between watching good old American football. And it's basically because I've also heard this term while watching F1 races last year. And it's the breaking zone, a.k.a. What is the breaking zone and why is it something that's talked about in races when we're watching like practices, quali, the race itself? Like, why does it matter? What is it? Why is it important? Whom is it important to? Obviously the drivers, but. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a bit important to that. Hannah, fill us in. What's a breaking zone? So a breaking zone in really simple terms is literally the section of the track before a corner that is required for the driver to slow down enough to take the turn. If they miss the braking zone, they go wide or they crash into the wall, depending on how sharp the turn is. Um, if they break too early outside the braking zone, then they'll cut or they just, they'll lose 
speed because that's you know we talked about this in, Moto, in the Moto GP episode where we did a whistle stop tour. We talked about apexes and we talked about how they're different between the two sports, but how they still mean the same thing. And if you miss that point, then you're screwed for for the rest of the lap. Now in a braking zone in F1 specifically, the you're gonna hear and you're gonna hear this in all motorsports really. You're gonna hear people like Daniel who are the last of the late breakers. It's as late as you can make it without crashing because the later you break, the more speed you keep. Right. Okay. So that's so what a braking zone the, is. The signs that we and the signs that we see down the left hand side, well probably down both sides in F1 of like mm-hmm. the 200, 150, 150, that relates to the braking zone, yes? Yes. Oh. And so when I'm... somebody decides to have a crash and take those out, it actually can have a genuine impact on the driver's perception. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're incredibly skilled, but say you knew that you flopped to the floor at 50 and the 50 sign has been crashed into or gone or you can't see it because it, it, you're in the wet, etc., etc. That then has an impact on your racing as well, I assume. Yes. They're not... So, I would... They are for braking zones. They're meter markers. Um, however, I really find it hard to believe that... Okay, I don't find it hard to believe, but I really would have a tough time believing that drivers solely rely on those to mark their braking. Um, it's really a personal choice and how fast you're going and how comfortable you are. But potentially in the lower series, they would be more critical and more useful, just as a sort of touch point reminder in the same way that, I I don't know if you have the same in in the US. In the UK, we have a system where when you're coming up to a junction, we have a sign with three bars on, then a sign with two bars on, then a sign with one bar on as you gradually progress towards the junction. Now, most people are well aware the junction is coming up but they're still there as a marker. Mm-hmm. We just have uh, the little signs that have either it's a roundabout or a stoplight, like it'll say. It'll yeah, we have there. on some of our bigger roads, on some of our bigger roads, we have sort of bigger signs and stuff like that. But yeah, go check out the UK Highway Code. It's super fun. And it gives people a bit more warning when uh, junctions and stuff coming up. I guess that also makes sense why... Like visualize the from what I've seen of the drivers, they do it like visualization and memorizing the tracks with their eyes yeah. closed is also important when it comes to like breaking zones and like when to do that fun stuff. Okay, it's incredible when you, if you ever see them do those videos where they like do it closed and they like go around and they're like turning like this, and you're like, oh my gosh, how like the muscle memory is incredible of them just being able to be like, I, I mean, I, the videos of Seven Kimmy when they're guessing a turn based on like the most minimal amount of information or the sound of a car going around a turn mm-hmm. like it's incredible it's amazing so good okay thanks mon that was super informative what do what was the context in imsa just were they talking about breaking zones or was there anything uh, specific i think it was for quali like the quali laps and yeah just like someone like either missed the breaking zone or something like that Sure. But it was a moment where it was like it impacted the lap and the time for like quality and like yeah, people makes for sense. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, well, our main topic of, of the day is describe it. What have you, how have you titled this section? I'm going to call it a continuation of last week. Last week we talked about engine errors and we prefaced how the engine errors changed based on three things performance, safety, or 
sustainability. Yeah. So regulation change, but basically, so we're going to do like a continuation of last week. This week, we're going to do some weird rules. There's going to be, we're going to do three this week. Two of them are the same race. But what brought this on was a specific event that Mon is not privy to yet. And I'm very excited to see her reaction because for those that know what happened before the South African Grand Prix of 1982, you know what we're about to talk about. For those that don't. I'm so excited. And I would like to say that if you are if you are one of those people that does not believe this sport can get fruity, buckle up. <laughs> oh boy, you are in for a ride. Listeners, welcome to 95% of this uh of this podcast is that Elliot and Hannah tell me something I don't know and they just wait for my reactions because it's amazing. Yeah. So, Han, do you wanna do you wanna fill us in on the 1982 driver strike? So 1982, let's set the scene. We're in South Africa um, at the Kalami Circuit. I believe I said that correctly. They Bring it back. Bring it back. Sorry. It'll take a lot of money to bring it back. But um, bring it back. it's bring the beginning it back. of the season. They haven't, they've not started the season. There has not been a single session yet. They are literally just getting everyone to sign new super license contracts now i say new super license contracts because over the winter break visa sounds like visa because it's spelled like visa with an f which was the precursor to the fia decided to create some newer clauses to their super license regulations now two of these clauses were what caused problems the first one was that they wanted all of the drivers, they didn't want, so this came up again, this is relevant now, that they basically, this was their first attempt at making it illegal for any driver to say or criticize the governing body, so anything bad. So this was their first attempt at deafening yep. opinion. Um, the second thing, which is what caused a lot of issue, and the strike specifically, was that if each driver signed this new super license regulation, they would give up their right to negotiate their own contracts. So they were not allowed to have input on where they drove and who they drove for. So you could have a scenario where, like, someone's doing really, really well, and then their team gets offered a ridiculous amount of money for the driver to go to. It would be like a Ferrari driver getting, or, or Ferrari getting offered, like, a million pounds for Charles Leclerc to go drive in Haas. Ferrari are like, yeah, sure, let's go for it. And Charles like, yo, why do I not get a say in this? And this is what this clause would have led to them not having, is they wouldn't have got a say in things like that. So basically, they'd have, they could have been being swapped to things just so that the team got more money. What in the basically, trading is this? Yes. So this is how I was going to relate it. Mon, this is like NHL trading. But except if, yeah, connect- it except when, yeah, when you don't have a no trade clause. Oh my God. Right. So they don't have a say. It can happen at any time. You know, they just, that's the what I can equate it to is literally NHL trading, which is it happens at any time. It would have been for any amount of money and they wouldn't have had a say. Right. So the best part is for me, did they come in? Did we have what we have now where? The, the rules are transparent and everybody knows about them and there's media art- outlets reporting on what's going to happen. Do you think that's what happened, Mon? Oh, absolutely not. I'm going to assume. 
no, they tried to sneak the clauses into the super license. Mm-hmm. So they just tried to like slide it like 30BAC part two. I'll sneak it in there and say what they thought was going to happen. And yeah, so we get to like the Wednesday before the season opens in South Africa and things are not sorted out. Like every like some of the drivers refuse to sign these. The big people involved in it were one driver from Ferrari who uh, is called Didier Peroni and then Nicky Lauda who is coming back with McLaren for the first time since retiring. They're the two who are like the big vocal people saying no. And so some of the driver's representatives try and like chat to the FIA or FISA. Um, but the president who's called Jean-Marie Belastri, he was like, no. Yeah. He was basically like, take it or leave it. What happened next? Did they take it or did they leave it? Once again, what in the real world or real housewives of Formula One is this? <laughs> so to answer Ellie's question, they left it. They basically mm-hmm. left it and said, screw you. Um, and they decided to go to, well, they were at the track on Thursday, but instead of having the scheduled practice session, a bus pulled up and Nikki Lauda and, um, well, Lauda and Peroni, Didio Peroni, came out and ushered every driver onto the bus and they went back to the hotel. Now, <laughs> one person stayed behind and that was Peroni. That's where we see the, like, one of the first initial outings of the GD, GPDA, which we've mentioned multiple times in episodes before. It was the Grand Prix Drivers Association that arranged all of this. They, like, which obviously includes the drivers and so they pick up that set this bus to come to the circuit pick up the drivers and there was one guy who turned up late so he wasn't involved one guy yeah. who didn't have a drive so he decided to stay at the track in case something happened and then like you say Peroni stayed at the track to negotiate and all of the other drivers left uh they were tried they tried to stop them leaving but basically they went back to the hotel five miles away the media they actually pushed the car out in of the a way. frenzy. They pushed the car out of the way. The media are in a frenzy. So Peroni says to conduct uh, negotiations and is relaying messages back to the others. Hannah, take it from there. So meanwhile, while Peroni is relaying his messages, all of the other drivers have taken over a conference room. Okay. They have literally overrun this conference room. They have locked themselves in there. They have taken mattresses and lined them up on the floor. They are entertaining each other by, you know, singing and doing whatever they can, you know. I've got some great examples of the entertainment if you want them. Yeah. So the person that you were talking about that showed up late was Teo Fabi. Um, he was, or sorry, no, one person. He was the one who gave up. He was the one who, so everybody kind of stood strong. There were people in there that didn't even know what they were striking for. There were people who were there to support their teammates. There were people, there was one person, and his name was Teo Fabi. And he ran like a chicken, Hannah. He ran like a chicken. Yeah, well, some people, depending on who you ask, he either climbed out the window or he ran like a chicken. Okay? Because it was was That's what what Kiki Rosberg said. So Nico Rosberg um, basically was like, yeah. He ran like a chicken. That was his famous quote from it, um, which I thought was rather hilarious. But yeah, there's uh, multiple in, uh, different stories as to how uh, Fabi escaped climbing up the toilet window. But apparently he says it wasn't true. He, in, in his defense, he was scared that he would not have the opportunity to 
drive an F1 again because he was set to debut. This was supposed to be his first race yeah. ever. Like, and he wasn't going to race it if they didn't reach an agreement. So, And that's it. So at the time, Bernie Eccleston is the boss of Brabham team. And he basically is like saying to the media that he's firing his drivers at the time where um, Nelson Piquet and Ricardo Patrice, like mm-hmm. the, the circuit are saying they're going to impound the cars. They're saying anyone taking part in the strike is banned from F1 for life. None of the current drivers are like Eccleston's like none of them are going to be missed. We're replacing them. This is the sort of news that's coming out. And so one level you can understand, like this is the equivalent of like a rookie going, oh, but I like, oh, I don't know what to do. So what happens is they end up being like, no, we are staying united except for the one guy. And they have a big, fun, old F1 sleepover. They have a party, a sleepover party to put the mattresses on the floor. They all go to sleep or try to go to sleep. Apparently one of them was a terrible snorer. But yeah, yeah they basically have to be... He was covered like a parrot with a blanket. Yeah, they covered him up with a blanket. Yeah. Um, but some of the other antics that they got up to, Gilles Villeneuve played songs on the piano, and then another driver called Elio De Angelis played Mozart to the level of a concert pianist. Nicky Lauda did a stand-up comedy routine. Gia Camelli drew cartoons and did a diagram of how to dismantle an AK-47. And then eventually, they uh, used the piano to barricade the door so that people couldn't get out. Moni, you seem somewhat animated. Which bit at? The diagram of the AK-47? Why? What? Because they're men. Duh. No, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Um, We don't know. Because everyone's got their hobbies, man. Okay? Everyone's got their hobbies, man. I guess you never know when you're going to need to know that, right? Maybe it was a war Maybe. I guess. Exactly. You just don't know. Yeah, they had their sleepover. I think it was Alan Prost who tweeted a picture of this last year or the year before when it was like the fourth year anniversary. And there was the comments on it were were absolutely incredible. Basically, nobody really knows what happened in that sleepover. You can speculate all you want. You can have your fun with that. But they have this big sleepover. All 20-odd of these guys. What happens the next morning then? Does it all get resolved? Well, Are they on. sleeping hang there on. for days? Let, let's, let's preface this by saying that the picture that was posted was a picture of I want to say Nikki Lauda and a few and Nelson PK laying in bed together I think I could be wrong on who it was but it was a couple of guys no it wasn't Nelson P it definitely wasn't it was- Nelson PK because Kelly commented on it going what was my dad doing at the time and Alan Prost replied going you don't want to know oh yeah okay fine so he's I, thought, not I, in the I knew picture. he came up in the post but I can't remember where so that's so what he was to- oh. yeah tell us what he was doing I want to know <laughs> You probably don't want to know. I don't, um, I don't probably not PG thirteen. But yes, so the the photo in question was not of the it could it, it insinuated a lot. It of was things. of the sleepover part. It was of the sleepover variety. Yes. So yeah. um they didn't they they locked out for a while. Um there was the next morning, I wanna say this is when the wives and girlfriends went to the track and started i don't remember if this is exactly when this happened there was and it caught ugh, the timeline is fuzzy there was like extra details but basically the timeline is fuzzy there was a and it's my favorite part of the story whether it be true or not um that i was told is that apparently the wives and girlfriends made a little trip to the track on saturday morning and 
they started throwing bread at people, okay, in in the paddock, okay? Now, like I said, I don't remember if this is true or not, and I'm not really fuzzy on the timeline and the details, but the fact that they went, if this is true, to the paddock and chose bread of all things um, (laughs) to throw at people. I'm here for it. And I believe it caused them getting a, like, one race ban from being in the paddock as well, which... I love that. Why was um, it bread? I don't know. Um, weapon of choice? Because the, the guy at the start... Maybe it's because the guy at the head of the of FISA was French, and so they threw a baguette at him. Probably. Maybe. Support you know. that. Yeah. So, no, so then the next morning, the FISA and the last three relent. They're like, fine, there's a truce, the race is going ahead, no ramifications for the drivers, discussions over the super licence can happen afterwards. Benny Eccleston, shockingly, is fuming and refuses at that point to let the guy who is the reigning champion, Nelson Piquet, drive, claiming he'd had no sleep, he wasn't fit to drive, he gets cleared by medical grounds. And then, just when you think it can't get any more spicy, Hannah, what then happens afterwards? So... Oh, I've lost my notes. Hang on a second. Um, they basically go ahead and do the race. I don't know if this is, you want me to jump ahead or you want me to like talk about what happens after the race. Or you want me to talk about is there something else that I'm missing? You talk and then I'll fill it in if there's anything you're missing. I don't think okay. it's probably quite a big part of the story. So basically, they go ahead with the race after postponing it because, like Ellie prefaced earlier, they the country of South Africa decided to say, if the race does not go ahead, we're going to impound the cars. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. They go ahead with the race a week later, and then, like we said earlier, they basically take away all of the things that they said they were going to do. So they basically, yeah. you know, they reduced penalties, They there was no life ban, there, you know, they just... They didn't follow through with well, it. Well, no, they either. did that, didn't they? So th- instead of, they'd originally said that there were no ramifications. Then they give everybody a fine of 10 grand. And then fine. they give them suspended race bans. And then the drivers appeal and take the stuff to the FIA Court of Appeal. And the FIA Court of Appeal upholds their appeal and is like, absolutely not. So their fines and bans get reduced. And mm-hmm. they absolutely criticise to high heaven their uh, FISA for trying to control what the drivers can and can't do so long story short the super license gets changed the two clauses that are bad get removed and ultimately the strike worked and actually more than that not only did it work and reduce the two bits that they wanted but it brings the grid closer together like it united the drivers over something it actually is probably one of the only times we've ever seen that happen to that extreme a few cases in in more recent history but for the most part that we've never really seen anything like that again and by that i mean the fruity sleepover obviously <laughs> so i think what you're referring to because now i found it is basically that to fill in what ellie was asking me about earlier if you were worried that there was no cars on track during that weekend don't you fret <laughs> Peroni went back for tried negotiations, tried negotiations in the morning, and Mast, who didn't play any part, he was the one that didn't play any part in it because he, I guess, showed up late. Um, he decided to lapse on the track 
just give the fans something. But then, then all of the pit crews were giving him wrong information. So all of the pit crews were taking it in turns to put different lap times on the signs mm-hmm. when he went fast that were of varying different levels. They also told him there were fake red flags. They told him that, like, so everybody's having a lot of fun with this. Like he got a black flag as a joke, like everything. Oh my yeah, god. Literally. Yeah, so that is the 1982 driver strike. Come on, any thoughts? Many thoughts? It's just what? <laughs> That's all I got for you. Like, what was this ride? Like, I know you say I don't want to know, and I probably don't want to know, but I still want to know what happened, like what they did, what they said. If you find I out, let us know. <laughs> I don't know how I will, but I'll let you know as soon as I do. Great, I'm here for it. Now, the other major one of recent history is a twofold. Now, we talked about Seb earlier. We're going to talk about Seb again. Um, In 2022, and this is Miami Grand Prix. It's the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. And it was already kind of on the rocks as a circuit, as a venue, what have you. So having this kind of spiciness on top really didn't help their press. But the FIA decided to reinforce their jewelry and their fireproofing rules. Um, Mon might remember this as it started, or it was like going on right before she started watching. Basically, the first one you're going to remember because Seb came out in his underwear over his over his overalls. Um, I do remember seeing that picture. Do remember seeing that picture. The reason he did this is because Appendix L of the ISC, which is the International Sporting Codex, says non-fireproof garments being in contact with driver's skin is strictly prohibited. And therefore, must be checked before every event and every session. This is where we also get the... I want to say this is where we also get the video of George in his blue and white stripes from Netflix. Um, But I could be wrong. That might just be their own little fetish. And then, in the same kind of announcement, they say must be put away before any and all races and sessions. This is where we get Lewis wearing three watches at once and every jewelry piece that he could humanly wear um, during a press conference during um, in response to that. So basically for him, it was like, how, like, you know, why would you tell me to wear this for him? It was mostly a nose ring or nose piercing that he does have. And it has continued into 2023. They gave him multiple suspended like grace periods and they gave all the drivers suspended grace periods for both of these regulations to get it in order and get it checked. Um, But, Lewis continues to fight it, which I do understand to an extent because nose rings are very, very sensitive and they will close if you take them out for too long. Um, so, yeah, yeah, some of it was around the, the metal in it as well. So the Niels Vittich, who was the race director at the time, he was like metal objects such as jewellery, if they're in contact with the skin, they can reduce heat transmission and can increase the risk of burn injuries in the event of a fire. There's also talk about them being a problem if, the driver is seriously injured and has to go for an MRI scan. Um, is the metal obviously can interfere with the MRI machine? But Lewis was kind of like, I've had plenty of MRI scans. My nose ring is platinum, not magnetic. It's never been a safety issue. So I don't really understand that. But as Hannah said, it kind of sparked a whole saga, basically, Jewelry Gate um, in, in 2022. And there's been a lot of times where it, as you say, it keeps coming back up. And then there are people who will say it seems targeted because he's one of the only drivers who does wear jewellery. And that was very much Seb's view. In part was why he 
put his underpants over the top because they two were part of the same ruling at the same time. And I think his way of protesting was by, you know, wearing his white pants over his green overalls. On the jewellery front, do they include wedding rings on there? Because if they didn't, then it's a baseless argument. They did. Yeah, no, so, so there was, there was, and Roman Grosjean was one of the people who spoke out against that because he said that when he was in the fire in 20... Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was 2020, yeah. Um, his wedding ring protected him. Pierre Gasly wears a crucifix. I think he takes that off to race. But again, there's certain things that have wider meaning. But yeah, I think it applies to everything, yeah. I believe it applies to everything. For for people who are like, well, it's a thing in every sport, which is true. Volleyball, you can't wear earrings um, or any form of piercing as it is dangerous. I believe it's the same with football and soccer, uh, slash soccer, um, or any other football. sport. So it is... It is you know, a thing. However, in this case, it just was a very, let's just throw something on there. And then it got a really interesting reaction out of somebody. So yes, that's why we included it in this episode. But I believe that's all I have this week. Mom, interesting. On those, any questions on the wild and wonderful rules of F1? Nah, the jewelry one's just interesting to me. As someone who like, has to deal with kids that get fresh piercings and they're like, oh, I have to go into a sport. And it's like, bro, please, please, why? Yeah. Why? Why'd you get a piercing before your season, during your season? Ah! But that's like a whole different thing. And it's not like, it's one where we're like, oh, you can't do it because of medical thing. It's like, no, like, Rulebrook says that, like, depending on the piercing and depending on the sport, you can't do it. But, like, if their yeah. reasoning was like, it interferes with this, and it's like, there's rules to it. There's ways you can make it work if you really absolutely need to take it a nose ring out for medical stuff. Yeah. Like, well, there's, I think that was, that was part of one of the things that Seb was quoted as saying was, yes, there's obviously a concern for safety. Yes, that's important. And we should be as safe as we can, particularly when thinking about fire. But his point was, there comes a point where to some degree it's personal freedom and we're old enough to make choices outside the car and we're old enough to make choices inside the car as well. And I don't know, that, that's a curious one to me because obviously the governing body's responsibility is to keep people as safe as possible and that was hopefully the underlying tone of why this rule particularly was suggested was improved safety for everybody but then you know there is also a degree of personal freedom and to what extent should that be allowed and to what extent should they just follow the rules I don't know for the rule, was it like, oh, you can't wear jewelry at all at one race weekend, or is it just like when you get to the car? It was for um, to drive. Okay, interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. I guess it's yeah, just very interesting. I guess I knew her more about like, or we'd see more of like the reasoning behind it, and it was slowly just like, oh, it's a medical thing. Then it's like, what medical thing are you talking? about? The interesting about? thing for me is the fact that it still hasn't been enforced. He still wears his nose piercing. He hasn't taken it out. And we're nearly two years later now. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Like, especially if you're like, oh, if we have to take the helmet off, do I'm like, bro, if you're C spining someone and you're taking a helmet off, there's ways to do that with that the nose piercing. If mm-hmm. you're practicing the way you should be, it's not gonna matter. <laughs> like there yeah. are these bigger issues at concern if you're gonna C spine someone 
and taking off a helmet than a nurse ring being in the way of that. Personally, that's my opinion. But sure. we'll... You're allowed your opinion. Um, other than that, then, I think that is all that we have time for today. I hope that you enjoy watching Daytona or the FE if you get to. And we've got some exciting stuff coming up. We're getting starting to think about the season next week. We're going to talk the history of car names and some other fun stuff. So, yeah, we'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. Bye.